Praise the Lord. Hello, everybody. Glory to God. It's, I tell you, God sure likes Wednesday night Christians. He doesn't have a lot of them anymore, but he sure likes them when he can get them. I tell you, it's, it's an exciting time in which we live, and I'm glad you're at church tonight. Amen. Praise the Lord. Say this with me before you're seated. I know God is good. I'll say it like you mean it. I know God is good, and I know his word is truth. Amen. You believe that? Well, if you believe that, you can be seated. Praise the Lord. <clears throat> it's an honor to be with you tonight. Thank you, Pastor Mike. And uh, he was gracious enough. We, we, uh, uh, I sent him a message when we were going to be out here for in, some, in several churches. And uh, he asked if we could do a Wednesday night service. And I was honored and delighted to do that. Uh, you know, Renee and I, uh, of course, we talk about this all the time. I mean, all the time we talk about this. We were so hungry when we were kids. We were so hungry for the Word of God. Now, we both raised in a great church. Uh, she was raised in a great Pentecostal church, in fact, a very famous church in, in Shreveport, Louisiana. Uh, it's called the Tabernacle, and, and it's, it's where it's the church that uh, um, Gordon Lindsay actually started Christ for the Nations in, and later he moved it to Dallas. Uh, it's the church where they started Voice of Healing magazine. Uh, when all those old Voice of Healing ministers, old Roberts and T.L. Osmond, all those guys, you know, William Branham and, and just all those guys from back in, back in those days. And, and uh, just, uh, it's a church that Jerry and Carolyn Savelle were both raised in and got married in. And, and, uh, and uh, Renee went there uh, from, a, from a young child on up and just got a lot of history there. Uh, so she went to a great church with a lot of heritage and a lot of history. And uh, I went to a great Pentecostal church out in West Texas and and uh, we, we, we were saved. We were filled with the Holy Ghost. We loved God. We loved the Word. But, you know, we just kept wanting something else, something else, something. We just wanted something that just, we wanted something that we could take to the bank, something that would work, uh, not just maybe it'd work or hope it'd work or, or you never know what God's going to do or maybe God will, maybe God won't. And, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, when I was just a 16-year-old kid, they made me uh, uh, youth leader at uh, the church and it was kind of a crazy thing for them to do. Pastor, or maybe pastor smarter than I thought, but, but pastor came to me and said, I want you to be the youth leader. I was a 16-year-old kid. I had never led anything. And, uh, and pastor said, I want you to be youth leader. I said, all right, whatever you say, I'll do anything you tell me to do. And uh, then the pastor said this. said, your, your kids, your group, is going to be from 13 years old to what they call young marriage. Young marriage, you know, back in, I mean, today young marriage would be, you know, 35 years old. But back in those days, <clears throat> you know, young marriage was, you know, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24. And, uh, and with kids. Now, here I am, a 16-year-old kid, and they got me with 13-year-old kids to, to the young marriage and with kids. I didn't have a clue what I was doing. And, uh, I mean, I wouldn't have had a clue if, if it had just been a, a little group. But, I mean, they, that was, that's a broad spectrum of, uh, of people to try to, relate to. And so uh, what it made me do, it made me pray a lot. Man, I tell you, I stayed before God in prayer. And uh, one night in prayer, I was telling the Lord, Lord, I, I need, a, I need a, a lifestyle for these kids. You know, they're facing things every day in school and then in these others in work and in marriage and things I know nothing about. And, you know, I mean, you know, and, and, and I, I need, I don't just need a sermon I need a lifestyle. I need something they can live by, something they can take to the bank, something they can use that'll, that'll work. And the Lord gave me what you and I would call the Word of Faith message. He, he gave me the, the very foundational scriptures for the Word of Faith. I had never heard it. This was 1966. You have to understand, in 1966, there weren't any Word of Faith books out. 
My book wasn't out. If I could have read my book, I'd have been way down the road. You know, <clears throat> Brother Hagin's books weren't out. You know, Brother Copeland wasn't saved yet. Uh, you know, Jerry Savelle wasn't in the ministry. I mean, you know, Charles Capps wasn't in the ministry. I mean, Norval Hagen, you know, I mean, I'm talking about 1966. And, uh, and so, you know, Rhema didn't exist. Uh, well, Word of Faith Bible schools or Word of Faith book tables, Word of Faith, anything didn't, didn't exist. The Word of Faith existed. God had been using it for, since time began, since before time began. But uh, he gave me what you and I today would call the Word of, Word of Faith message. And, uh, and I got up and preached that, and, uh, the, and they, they, the pastor and the, the, the deacons, the elders, and, and my mama all thought that I, I did really bad. And so they, they called me in the back room, chewed me out, and I repented and apologized. Went and repented before God and laid on the floor all night and repented to God in tears and said, I'm so sorry. I, 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 thought, I, I thought you showed me something. I didn't. They told me I blasphemed against God, you know. Because what I preached was you can talk like God. And that's what the Lord said to me. He said, write this down. You can talk like God. And then he gave me all these scriptures to prove you could talk like God. But when I got up and preached, you can talk like God. Oh, my, 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 that didn't go over well at all. And so, uh, so I just put that on the shelf and thought I was wrong and thought they were right. And a uh, uh, year and a half later, I ended up on my first mission trip in the jungles of Panama, uh, living with an Indian tribe that didn't wear clothes. And we lived wildcat style, no catch, no eat. And if I shot a monkey, we ate monkey. If I shot a, you know, a parrot, we ate parrot. And, one day I hunted all day and didn't shoot anything but two woodpeckers. Now, woodpeckers aren't but that big. <clears throat> but when you're hungry, you can make broth out of them. You know, you can't eat them. There's nothing there to bite. But, but I, did, I did get the feathers off of them and clean the insides out of them and put them in some boiling water and, and made some protein, some protein broth. That's how, uh, that, that's, that was my, when I was 18. And, uh, and while I was there, I got sick and, and, and about died and so on and so forth. And came back from that trip, and, and I said to the Lord, I said, you're going to have to talk to me. You're going to have to talk to me. I said, you know, I, I just did this missionary thing in Panama and about died. And I said, that's okay. I don't mind dying for you. It just doesn't seem to make sense. It just doesn't seem like, you know, you call somebody to be a missionary, and they won't go. And then you finally get somebody to go, and then you, they go, and then you kill them. That, 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 doesn't, that doesn't make it. And that's why the church taught. And I said, that doesn't make sense. I don't mind doing it, but that doesn't make sense. It seems like to me it's a waste of military assets. I don't know any general that would, that would do his troops that way. I mean, you're not going to win a war that way. Are y'all here? <clears throat> and so I, uh, I, I locked myself up in a room and said, you're just going to have to talk to me. And I tell you what, he did talk to me. He, he, he wasn't real happy about it either. He said, I've already told you this. And he said, now write this down. And see, he told me the same thing he told me before and gave me scriptures to back it up and when I came out of that, out of that room after he had given me those scriptures and, and talked to me like he did uh, I said alright this way I'm going to live I'll never, I'll, never, I'll never change from it again I'll never turn from it again I'm going to live this way and I uh, won't be sick anymore and you know go to the mission fields and so on and so forth and you know the last 49 years that's been 49 years ago uh, uh, is history and we've preached around the world and and God's done miracles and miracles and miracles and miracles. But it's because of that, that what Paul said, the word of faith which we preach. That, that that your pastor, that that Mike and Beth preach to you all the time. And uh, teach you and train you and minister to you. So uh, I want to talk to you about that a little bit tonight. Is that all right? Now I know it's a Wednesday night, so I can't go three or four hours like I'd like to. But we'll, we'll you know, when I see three people asleep on the same row, I'll quit. Is that all right? Renee, <laughs> stand up and greet the people and say something real quick. And uh, you can't sing, dance, or tell jokes. Come up here and I'll, you can come stand close to me and you can use my mic.
Not yet, but keep talking in faith. Hello. There you go. Faith works every You're time. You're awake now. <laughs> well, I just always, as Terry said, we just want to salute you for being here on a Wednesday night and putting your spiritual growth and hunger at the forefront with your time. That what you do for the kingdom of God, what you're doing for yourself here tonight to be here will play out for the rest of your life, whether you're younger or older in age. And church is the best idea God's had since Calvary. And uh, the whole system is meant to benefit us while we're here on this planet. And that's why we, we can't, as Hebrews 2 says, we cannot drift past these things. If God has given us the gift of the local church, he's given us the gift of, the, of you know, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, leadership, those that have gifts and callings that can come in, into a, a place and begin to, uh, we weave them together to do something for the kingdom of God. What a magnificent calling it is to be a Christian in this last days. Isn't that wonderful? It's a, y'all don't sound excited about that, but it's, we're, it's a very noble calling. Uh, we're a royal priesthood. We, we are the people of God. Uh, we are, a, you know, a holy nation. All of these things that the Bible says that we are gives us distinction in three realms, in the realm of heaven and earth and in hell. Isn't that wonderful? Exactly right. That heaven knows your name. It, that you have a sphere of influence on this planet where people know your name and you can make headlines in hell <laughs> where they will know you. So I want to encourage all of you tonight and applaud you and, and thank God for your life given to God. And uh, I, I wanted to say two things. I was just so enjoying the music tonight and just worshiping the Lord. And, and you know, when you come before the Lord, even though he tells us to come boldly before the Lord, um, I found, Mike, you know, Beth, you know, that through the years you realize that the thing that attracts God is humility and gratitude. And that helps you be a good worshiper, even in the midst of highs and lows in your life. So if we'll be the people of God that'll love God, be faithful to God, humble ourselves, God has shown you, old man, what is good and what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly before the Lord. When you walk humbly before the Lord and you have a heart of gratitude, then God is able to do so many things through you almost by accident without you even helping. You know, I found out through life I do more things sometimes just being obedient and worshiping the Lord and having a happy heart. More things happen right by accident than they do with me trying to make them happen. So I, I just uh, love you tonight by the Spirit of the Lord. I'm grateful for you serving God in this location. There are thousands and millions and millions of us around the world, and we're here serving the Lord tonight in our place. And I'm so grateful for that. I'm glad they, let the, they had the doors open so we could come in tonight, and nobody checked us to see if we were okay. There weren't any cameras there, reality show, you know. You didn't have to show your credentials to get in the door. They just let you come in, regardless of your past, your problems, you know, your culture, whatever has gone on. God accepted us into the beloved, and we're here tonight to receive and to worship him. God bless you. Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you. <clears throat> Father, thank you for your word tonight. Thank you for this great church with a great pastor, with a great congregation, with a great vision from a great God to get the gospel to the world. 
to reach way down and lift way up, to make a difference in people's lives, to, to share with people, to care about people, to reach the unreached and tell the untold, to love the unlovely. Father, to minister a word in season, to speak life, to speak light, and to speak love to people. Jesus came with that threefold purpose, love, light, and life, and that's our purpose, to minister life to people, to minister light to people, and minister love to people in the name of Jesus. Father, we're not playing church. This is a lifestyle that we can take to the bank. This stuff works. Your word works. Your name works. And we thank you for that. And may we leave this place tonight saying, surely the Lord, not Terry Mize, the Lord has ministered to us in Jesus' name. And we leave here tonight with our head up and our shoulders back, realizing we're bigger than we thought we were. We're better than we thought we were. We can do more than we thought we could do because we're Christians, Christ-like ones, imitators of King Jesus. We thank you for it. Thank you in advance for that that you'll do in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen. There are books and, and CDs and things back there at the uh, back that will help you. I, I tend to not say that a lot. I tend to leave that out because I, I begrudge the time it takes me to make a commercial that I could be preaching, but, but it will do you good and it will help you. There's no theory back there. And I think back there I think might work. It's 49 years of third world missionary evangelism that I know for a fact works and uh, that I've preached around the world and watched people around the world uh, live it. But, uh, but as I said a while ago, this this... This is a message or a word or a lifestyle that we can absolutely take to the bank. That's what makes it different from everything else. And take it from an old missionary who's traveled and seen the other gods, and I've seen the false gods, and I've seen the idols, and I've seen the temples, and, and I've been to those other nations, and I've watched people uh, cut themselves and crawl on the floor and, 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 and beg and cry and plead and, and, and do every kind of penance and every kind of sacrifice there is to try to get their gods to hear, and their gods don't hear. And uh, uh, we're not just playing church. Amen? We're, we're not just playing church. But I want you to understand that the name of Jesus on your lips can raise the dead. And no Buddhist thinks that. No Hindu thinks that. Hindus have 330 million gods. And they don't believe that by, by using the name of one of them, it'll raise somebody from the dead. Are you here? Islam doesn't believe that. But the name of Jesus on your lips, on your lips, just regular folks, men, women, boys, girls that love God, that give their life to God, that accept Jesus, the name of Jesus on your lips can cast out devils, can change somebody's life, can open blind eyes, can unstop deaf ears. Amen. I mean, seriously, seriously. Now, I know in most of the churches in, in, in town, if we got up and said that this next Sunday morning in their pulpit, they'd think we was crazy. But I'm talking to you, this stuff really works. And we're not just playing church. We're talking about the name of Jesus. Not just the name of Jesus. I'm talking about the name of Jesus. Right? I'm talking about he that was dead and who's alive forevermore. And he said, don't you forget it. I've got the keys of death, hell, and the grave, and you, can't, you take my name, and you take my word, and you take my power, and you just go on and keep using it. Amen. And set the captive free. Amen. So again, like I said, I know it's a Wednesday night, and I can't go a long time tonight, but man, I would like to. I have got a, a mouthful of stuff that I would just love to get a hold of you. You know, when I get in churches, I feel like, especially churches I have a relationship with. You know, this church, you know, Mike and Beth are, are dear friends, and, and, and the kids, and and... You guys support us in missions. You've sent, you've sent us around the world. You've sent, I've taken your love and your prayer and your money literally around the world. 
hope I've taken your love and prayer. I know I've taken your money. I see the, I see the checks come in. You know, and at Christmas time, you sent us a, a lovely, beautiful, generous offering. We took to sent to five different five different nations: India, Romania, Haiti, Mexico, and uh, Jamaica, in twelve different orphanage homes, twelve different homes, and made a difference for people at Christmas time. Made different orphans at Christmas time, which is what the Bible tells us to do. And you guys have been involved in that, and you and helped us with things like that. And and uh, so we're we're excited about it. But let me let me ask you a question real quick because I need to get into this. It's seven thirty. And, uh, and I'm looking for three people to sleep on the same row. But uh, have, you ever, have you ever heard anybody named, or have you ever named your kids, Shaphat? Did you ever sing songs about Shaphat? Nope, I didn't think so. How about Shamua? Not Shamu, but Shamua. Nope. How about Eagle? Y'all sing songs about eagle and name your kids after eagle? I didn't think so. How about Palti? P-A-L-T-I. That just didn't even sound right. Palti. How about Gadiel? Do you, you, you name your sons and grandsons? No. How about Gaddy? Amiel? Sether? Nobby? Nobby. <laughs> I didn't think so. Guriel? Nope. Why haven't you heard of them? They're in the Bible. Why don't you name your kids after them? Why don't you sing songs about them? Why don't we get up and preach sermons about them? I am. Why don't you know who they are? It's because they're, they're losers. They're losers. Nobody wants to talk about them. Nobody wants to name their kids after them. Because they were the ten spies they went out to search the land and came back with what God called an evil heart, an evil report, an evil congregation. What about Joshua? Anybody ever heard of Joshua? How about Caleb? You ever name your sons Caleb or Joshua or sing songs about them or preach sermons? Oh, sure. Why? Because they came back with a good report. They came back and said, hey, we can do it. Hey, this is our land. Hey, don't let anybody keep you out of this place. God said we can take it. Those other guys said, no, we can't. No, we can't. Those guys are, those guys are giants, and they were giants. They said, we're as grasshoppers in our own sight. We can't take it. Their cities are walled, and they were. Their cities are strong, and they were. We saw the Canaanites there, and they did. We saw the Jebusites there, and we did. We saw the Hivites there, and, and, and we saw Anak, the sons of the giant. We, we saw all those guys there, and they did. And they said, we can't do it. And that's where they messed up. Isn't that right? Joshua and Caleb said, no, we can do it. Their defense has departed from them. They're bread for us. We'll eat them alive. And all the two million Jews said, stone those two guys with stones. Kill them dead. We should have died in the wilderness. Our children are going to die out here. We should have stayed in Egypt. Isn't that right? Now, Mike, as long as I've been preaching Word of Faith, as long as you've been preaching Word of Faith, every preacher I know and you know that's preached the Word, like we preach it, people have come to us and they've made this statement over the years. They've said, now, now, now Pastor, I'm just not going to say something if it's not true. I'm just going to tell the truth. I'm not going to say I'm healed if I'm sick. 
I'm not going to say I'm prosperous if I'm not. I'm just going to tell the truth. People have come to me that way for 49 years. They've come to me, brother, I'm just going to tell the truth. I'm not going to say something that's not true. I'm just going to tell the truth. I say, yeah, let me know how that works out for you. Go talk to Nobby. <laughs> Go talk to Palti. Go talk to Gadio and Shamua. Go talk to those guys and ask them how that worked out for them. Because that's exactly what they did. All they did is came back and told what they saw. All they did is came back and told the truth as they saw it. And God killed every one of them dead. All ten of those guys, the Bible says, they died by the plague. I mean, they didn't wander around for 40 years like everybody else and die off. They died right then of the plague. They got the plague right then and died. God said, I'm not messing with it. God said, you're an evil congregation. Now, wait a minute. Fifteen minutes ago, they were God's people. They were the apple of God's eye. They were God's heart. But they came back and gave a, what he called an evil report from an evil heart, from an evil congregation. And what did they do wrong? All they did is told what they saw. All they did is told the truth. But the, the truth they told violated what God said. So next time you come to pastor and say, now pastor, I'm just not going to say I'm healed if I'm sick. You, you, think about Nobby. <laughs> and pastor, I'm just not going to say, I'm just not going to say that if that's not true. I'm just not going to say that. Well, let me know how that works out for you. Actually, I know how it's going to work out for you. I can prophesy how it's going to work out for you. Because when we disagree with God, see, Jesus said this about the Word of God. He said in John 17, he said, Father, thy Word is truth. Thy Word is truth. Not my Word, not your Word, not, not, not the Republicans' Word, the Democrats' Word. No, no, no. Not Hollywood's Word, not Washington's Word. No, God's Word is absolute truth. No ifs, ands, and buts about it. If God said it, doesn't matter how you see it. Are there any pilots in this room besides me? Anybody a pilot? Anybody a pilot? Nobody a pilot? Usually when I preach this church, an old, old friend of mine named Dale shows up. He's a pilot. You know, I'm a pilot, and, and I wish there were some other pilots here so you could just tell everybody this is right, but uh, you just have to believe me or Google it. But when you fly an airplane of any size of any kind, I don't care if we're talking about jumbo jets, we're talking about a little puddle jumper, uh, airplanes operate on the basis of, of lift, that, that, that there's, you get enough lift to get off the ground and you get enough lift to stay in the air. And if you violate that lift, you get in serious trouble. And so if you go look at any airplane, just go to the airport or next time you're around a plane, just look at any airplane and you'll see that their wings are not level like this but there'll be a little angle to the wing. It's built into the wing. Wings are built with a, it's called a camber in aviation lingo. It's built with a camber or an angle to give lift. And let me, let me not get complicated with this. Just, just imagine you driving down the, down the street or when you was a kid and you're, you're in the car with your parents or maybe your kids do it now or your grandkids. I can't imagine we let grandkids do it now. We're so safety conscious and so weird. But back in the day, we used to roll the window down. Remember that? And back in the day, we'd stick our arm out the window. 
right? It doesn't matter if you're going 30 miles an hour, 70 miles an hour. If you keep your hand flat like that, no angle, no camber, then you just hold your hand out there in the wind just like that, and you just go, man, you're just slicing through the air. But you give that just a little angle, just a little camber, and all of a sudden it, it, it lifts your arm, doesn't it? Or if you give it a little lift, a little camber downward, it'll, it'll push your arm down. And if you do it flat like that, it'll push your arm back, right? Well, same, same with an airplane wing. It's built with that little angle so that when you're going against the wind, it's giving it a, a lift, okay? But what happens with an airplane, just like happens on a bicycle or a car, is when you start uphill, you start losing power or thrust or oomph. You start up a, bicycle, a, a hill with your bicycle, you, it gets harder, right? You start up with your car, your car starts slowing down a little bit. You do the same thing with an airplane. You start, you start going climbing with an airplane, and, and, and you slow down. You don't go as fast as you did level. And if you go down, you can go really fast. Isn't that right? Well, what happens is when that wing runs out of lift, when you get it climbing so high that you're no longer giving it a little lift, but you've turned it too far up like this to where now there's no lift, but it's pushing back, it's drag, then that airplane, every one of them, goes into what we call a stall. The airplane stalls. When it stalls, that means there's no more lift. You're no longer climbing. You're at a point of, of zero lift, okay? And whatever that airplane stalls, then it will break over. The nose of the airplane will break over and head to the ground. And it'll either spin to the left or it'll spin to the right. Some airplanes have a, have a penchant to spin right. Some have a penchant to spin left or, or depending on the way the wind's blowing or whatever's going, it could go either way. You know, if you're real familiar with an airplane, you, it, you know, you say, well, this thing always breaks right or this one always breaks left. But, you know, it could, it could do something else if the wind's doing something weird. But nevertheless, the nose is going to break over. It's no longer pointed up like you had it. It's now pointed down straight at the ground. I mean straight at the ground. And you're spinning. You're, you're turning around like this, either right or left. And if you don't do something about that, you are dead. D-E-A-D, -E dead. Okay? So what's your point in all that, Terry? Ah, here's my point. You don't get an opinion when an airplane stalls. You don't get an opinion on how to fix that. You don't get an opinion about how to save your life. You don't get an opinion about how to get out of that stall. You have a specific instruction on how to get out of a stall. Okay? The way you get out of a stall, and remember this next time you're flying a plane, whether it's a jet or a prop, when you get in a stall, you need to push the aileron, that's, the, that's a steering wheel, the yoke, you need to push it forward. Okay, you need to do opposite rudder. If you're spinning right, you need to do left rudder. If you're spinning left, you need to do right rudder. You need to do opposite rudder because you need to go the opposite way you're going, right? You need to go get the power off. Why do you get the power off? Well, because you're going down and you don't want to go real fast. I mean, the ground's coming up to meet you and you don't, you, you don't want to just give it full power to get there in a hurry, Right? And then you, you neutralize your ailerons, which means your wings. You neutralize your ailerons where they're not turning right or left. They're just neutral. So you got neutral aileron. you got opposite rudder. you got retard the power, forward on the yoke, and you'll come out of that stall. 
and you just fly right out of that stall. Finally, the plane stops spinning. Now you're going straight. Now you're going straight at the ground instead of spinning at the ground. And then you just pull the nose up, fly that thing out, give it some power, fly that thing right out of that stall and save your life. Now, that's called stall recovery, and that's the way it's done. And it doesn't matter if you like it or not. doesn't matter if you have a better idea or not. doesn't matter if you say, but I think I want to try something new. Because that'll kill you. What you want to do is go do exactly what the book says. Because if you do exactly what the book says, it'll save your life. If you have a better idea, it'll kill you. If you have an opinion, it'll kill you. Amen? Now, when I was in the Army, how many of you have been in the military? Military, military, military. Well, I'm striking out. Now, all right, here's three right here, four right there. Great. You know, when, when I, did you raise your hand? Appreciate your service, all of you. Now, when, when they put you through this hellacious bunch of weeks, it was 13 for me, uh, called basic training. In basic training, they just have you do the stupidest, dumbest stuff that has no purpose and no point except to make you obey orders. Okay? To make you not have an opinion. To make you not think. To make you obey orders. Okay? And so the purpose of that is, is when you get in combat and your, your platoon leader or whoever's in charge says, hit the dirt, you don't stop and say, oh, but it's dirty. Oh, but I don't want to. There's ants. I'll wrinkle my uniform. I'll break a fingernail. You, they don't want you to think because somebody's about to kill you, right? The enemy's right there, and he's about to kill you, so they tell you to hit the dirt, and they train you and train you and train you and train you to not think. Just hit the dirt when they tell you to, which will save your life, Right? You don't get an opinion. You an opinion will get you killed. Amen, Brother Terry. That's a really good word. Thank you. I'm glad you're telling me that. No, you understand what I'm saying to you? An opinion will get you killed. So you're trained to obey orders or you're trained to follow the manual. Right? One time I was flying along and I had, a, I had an FAA inspector check ride pilot with me, an inspector with me. He's giving me a test, like a driving test. He's giving me a flying test. And he said, pull this thing up into a stall, son. Man, I pull that sucker up into a stall like I'd done 10 jigging other times. Never, never did it and accidentally got, went into a spin. Did a lot of spins on purpose, but never did any on, uh, by accident until that day. And he said, pull this thing up into a stall. Man, I pull that thing up into a stall. And boy, before you knew it, we were just headed to the ground. Well, I just did what you're supposed to do and came out of it. And so when we got on the ground, I figured he was going to fail me. And uh, he said to me, he said, you know, son, I'm not impressed you got that thing into a spin. Well, I said, well, I'm not either. He said, but I am impressed you got us out. And I said, well, me too. <laughs> and I said, I was hoping if I didn't, you would. <laughs> but, and, he, and he passed me. But, but, but see, if I'd have done anything other than the book, it wouldn't have worked. And he'd have, he'd have, I, I guarantee you, he'd have taken over and done the book to keep from getting himself killed. Are you here? But it's the same way with the Bible. 
And Christians get really upset whenever I say, you don't get an opinion with the Bible. You don't get an opinion with God. And it just really irritates people when I say that. I don't know why, but they just, they just want to have a better idea than God. But Brother Terry, I do get an opinion. No, you don't. Yes, I do. I'm not just a machine. I'm not just a robot. I get an opinion. No, you do not get an opinion. You follow orders. You do what the Word says. You do what God says, and it'll save your life. Because you having an opinion can get you and some other folks killed or get you hurt really bad or get you messed up in whatever other way in life because we don't get an opinion from the Word. Now, if I could just get that to everybody in here tonight, and you'd convince me you got it, we'd just close and go home. That's the most important thing you'll ever hear, is you don't get an opinion. Go to the Word. Find out what the Word says. Don't be like these 10 guys. Old Nobby and Palti and those other guys, man, they, they had an opinion. And they decided we're just not going to say something that's not true. We saw the giants there. We're going to say we saw the giants there. Right? And they died by the plague before the Lord. All those other folks died off over a period of 40 years. You know, are, are y'all getting this? You know, there's a lot of goofy teaching about grace going on these days and I love grace and I love mercy and love all that, but there's a lot of, you know, all, all any error in the church ever throughout history, any error in the church is simply overemphasized truth, right? The devil's not going to come with a pitchfork and horns and say, hey, here's an error for you. No, he'll, he'll bring the truth to you and then overemphasize it, overemphasize it, overemphasize it. And you can do that on any subject in the Bible. You can do it with faith. You can do it with love. You can do it with joy. You can do it with peace. You can do it with grace. You can do it in any, any area in the Bible. You can take a Bible truth and overemphasize that thing and push it out of context until it's error, and it'll get you killed. Amen. Are you all sure you're here tonight? All right. And so... What, let me give you a little something about grace and mercy. Without you know, I'm a missionary, so I don't have time to give you these great eschatological discourses and these great you know. I don't have four or five you know weeks to just build a sermon and build a sermon. I got to say something and leave, and something you'll get now and remember now because then I'll we'll be gone tomorrow, right? So just think about think about it this way with great with with grace. The, the common perverted teaching today is, is what I call the Jesus doesn't care message. It's just you live any way you want to and Jesus doesn't care, which isn't true, but that's what's being preached. You, you just do anything you want. In, in fact, the, the philosophy is I want to live like a pig but get blessed like a sheep. And see, that doesn't work. God blesses sheep. He doesn't bless pigs, Right? But here's where we get goofed up on this thing is because that we're in the New Testament and we now have grace, thank God, is that we get to push in that Bible truth to the extreme and saying, hey, it is okay. I can live like a pig and get blessed by a sheep because God doesn't care. Jesus doesn't care. No, God does care and Jesus does care. The only difference here, let me say it like this. All the sins in the Old Testament God didn't like, he still doesn't like today. It's just that in the Old Testament, he killed you for it. 
In the New Testament, he doesn't kill you for it, but the devil will. The devil will because he'll tell God, hey, I've got a legal right to kill them. And I know you're not going to kill them because you're a nice guy and you've got grace, but they're out of order here. They're at, they're, they've crossed the limit here. They, they're they're, they're out, out, out living like a pig. I have the right to kill them, and he does. Does that make sense to you? See, in the Old Testament, if a teenager smarted off to his parents, you took him outside the town and you, a bunch of people gathered around, stoned him with stone, killed him. Made teenagers nicer. <laughs> Sometimes I miss the Old Testament. Well, God still doesn't like it. And he said the soul that sins must die. God said, I require blood. The soul that sins must die. So Jesus said, okay, I'll die. I'll pay blood. I didn't sin. They did. They will. I won't. I'll pay blood. I'll take care of it. And so God said, okay, somebody's got to pay blood because I still don't like it. I still require blood. The soul that sins dies. And Jesus said, I'll do it. So he did it for us. And so now we have grace. And so instead of whenever you do something wrong or I do something wrong, instead of God killing us for it, we can repent. Of course, the common teaching along with the goofy grace teaching today is that you can't repent. Preachers that preach that nonsense tell you, don't repent, never repent. Well, that's the dumbest thing I ever heard in my life. Are y'all here? Yeah. I had one pastor friend of mine tell me, he said, Terry, if a guy came up to my daughter, took a pistol out, shot her in the face and killed her dead, I wouldn't expect him to repent to me or God. And I said, well, you're just a moron. How's the guy going to get any repentance or get anything get straight with God if he doesn't repent? Well, their answer to that is, well, Jesus died for everybody. Jesus shed blood for everybody. Jesus took, paid for sins for everybody, past, present, and future. And I say, oh, that's true, but you have to accept it. You have to appropriate it. They say, no, you don't. It's just automatic. Well, if that's true, then so is salvation, which, by the way, they're preaching that now too. You don't have to accept Jesus. You don't have to come to Jesus. You don't have to accept Jesus. You just have to be breathing. If you're born on the planet, to their, to their sermons, if you're born on the planet, you're saved. Everybody's saved. Because Jesus died once and for all, not going to do it again. Well, I agree. That's true. He died once and for all, not going to do it again. But you have to accept it. You have to appropriate it. You have to use it. But that's not what they say. And that's the same thing about grace. That's the same thing about repentance. You have to appropriate it. You have to, the Bible says if you, if you sin, if you're faithful and just to confess, if, if you confess your sins, 1 John 1, 9, he's faithful and just to, con, to forgive your sins and cleanse you from A-double-L, all unrighteousness. Of course, what they're preaching now is that 1 John 1, 9 doesn't count. It's not, it's not written to, to, to Christians. It's written to sinners. So there's always a counter in what we're doing but what I'm telling you is, just like with the airplane, is that didn't work. And you don't get an opinion. And if you start taking an opinion, you're going to get yourself in trouble, as many have. So the cool thing is, is when you get in trouble, you can ask God to forgive you, and there's grace and mercy, and God doesn't kill you. Isn't that good news? Now, you know, with Moses... 
God walked up to Moses one day before they crossed over the River Jordan in the Promised Land, and God said, uh, buddy, uh, come with me. Come here with me. Yes, sir. And they went up on top of a little a mountain. And God says to Moses, he says, uh, bud, you see over there, that's the, that's the Promised Land. That's the land you despised 40 years ago. That's the land I told you for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years that I was bringing you into. That's the land flows of milk and honey. And uh, you've been wandering around here in the desert 40 years because you all messed up. And uh, I got some news for you. You're not going to get to go in. But I'm going to let you see it. That's it. See it? That's it. But here's what I'm going to do for you. If I got a deal for you, Moses, I'm going to personally kill you. And I'm going to personally bury you, personally do your funeral, and bury you, and nobody's ever going to find where your body's buried. How would you like to have that kind of deal? That was the kind of deal Moses got. Because he had sinned. He couldn't go into the promised land. Those other guys couldn't go into the promised land. Amen. And God said they had an evil heart, that they were an evil generation, that they brought back an evil report. Simply because they went and told what they saw. In their own mind, they told the truth. It wasn't the truth because it violated what God said. Now, just to give you, let me just give you a few scriptures so you don't think I made all this stuff up. How many of y'all thought I just made it all up? Let me give you, let me give you a couple of scriptures. Um, I'm not going to read them all to you because there, there's a bunch. If you want to write them down, you can. If you just want to listen to the tape. You can, because it's it's a bunch of scriptures. But uh, the Lord had told them for hundreds of years that he was bringing them into the promised land. Now, they were in Egypt for 450 years as slaves, right? God had told them for hundreds of years before Egypt, after Egypt, during Egypt. God had told them, I'm taking you to the promised land. But here's what he told them about the promised land. In Exodus 3.8, Exodus 3.17, Numbers 33.55, uh, Exodus 13, 5, Exodus 13, 11, Exodus 23, 23 through 25, and then continuing Exodus 23, verse 27 through 33. Now, that's all I'll give you right now. But in all those scriptures, he told them, here's just, here's just a couple of things he said to them. But hundreds of years before, Exodus 3, 8. I'm come down to deliver you out of the land of the Egyptians to bring you out of the land to a good land and large unto a land flowing with milk and honey into the place of the Canaanites. He said the Canaanites were there. And the Hittites and the Amorites and the Pezurites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now they knew for hundreds of years those people were there. All right. Verse 17, and I've said, I'll bring you out of the affliction of Egypt, the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Pezurites, the Hivites, the Jebusites unto a land flowing with milk and honey. Numbers 33:55. If you will not drive out the inhabitants of the land before you, it shall come to pass that those which you let remain shall be pricks in your eyes and thorns in your sides and shall vex you in the land where you dwell. And he goes on. 13:5 said, The Canaanites, the Hivites, the Amorites, the Hivites, the, or the Hittites, the, the Jebusites, which he swear to your fathers to give a land full with milk and honey, and you shall keep this service in this month. And it just goes on. All those scriptures I gave you all say the same thing. God tells them, These bad guys are there. Right? This isn't a surprise. They've known it for hundreds of years. So when old Paul D. and Nobby and the boys came back and said, hey, we can't take it because the Hittites are there. 
The Canaanites are there. We saw the Jebusites. We saw the Hivites. We saw... We, we, well, yeah, duh. You've known this for hundreds of years. These, these kids have been taught this stuff from, from the time they were a baby they were taught this stuff. God's going to deliver us and take us into the land that flows of milk and honey, and the bad guys are there, but we got to go in and run them out. In fact, he even goes on to tell them, he says, look, I'm not going to run them all out at once because if I run them all out at once, then the land they've been keeping for you all these years and the crops they've been doing for you all these years, it'll just grow over and become wild and, no, and won't, won't profit you anything and the wild animals will take over the place. Isn't that right? He said, so when you get there, you drive them out. And if you don't drive them out, there'll be thorns in your eyes and pricks in your sides and they'll cause you a lot of trouble. So you got to drive them out. But I'm not going to drive them out because if I did, the land would overgrow, the animals would take over, and you wouldn't gain any profit from it. They knew this for hundreds of years. So now when they finally get to Egypt, it doesn't take 40 years to walk from Egypt to the promised land. You can do it yourself in a couple of weeks. And so when they left Egypt and got to the promised land, about to go over the River Jordan, then they come up with this idea and say, hey, let's go check out the land. It's okay to check out the land uh, as long as it was a recon. As long as they were just going to go search it out and come back and say, okay, here's where the cities are, here's where the people are, here's what we think we need to do. No problem with that. But they didn't do that. They came back and said, we can't take it. We saw the cities that are walled and strong and the Canaanites are there and the Anak, the sons of the giants are there. We're as grasshoppers in our own sight and we are in their sight as well. And Joshua and Caleb says, we can do it. Their defenses are parted from them. They're bred for us. Let's go do it at once. Rise up at once. We're well able to possess it. And they said, stone those two goody two shoes with stones. Kill them dead. We can't do it. We wish we, we wish would have died in the wilderness. And God said to him, he says, as you, as you have spoken it in my ears, so shall I do it unto you. You said you'd die out here, so guess what? You're going to die. In fact, he's going to kill the whole bunch of them. Moses talked him out of that, so finally he said, well, all right, I've pardoned according to your word, but everybody that's 20 years old and upwards is going to die. And he said, and since they searched the land for 40 days, then I'm going to give you a day for a year. You're going to walk out in the wilderness for 40 years. And he said, and you'll, you'll know my breach of promise, and you'll, you'll know the land that you have despised. God wasn't happy with them for telling the truth. He wasn't happy with them as just calling it like they see it, just telling it like it is. Pastor, I'm just not going to say that now. I'm just not going to do it. I'm just going to tell it like it is. Yeah, I tell you what, you need to think of Nobby and Paul and those guys. It just isn't going to work out for you. God's going to kill me with the plague? No, he's not going to kill you. He would have back then, but he, he's got grace now. Jesus has paid for your dumbness, my dumbness, but... You're going to be in legal situation where the devil can kill you. We need to we 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 need to understand something. We need to understand the difference between love and approval. Christians today get all loosey goosey on this love stuff and just oh God loves me God loves me, God just loves me so much God and He does but He doesn't approve of stuff. Right? There's a difference in love and approval. I taught my four kids all their growing up years, and I teach my grandkids now that, hey, I will love you all of your life unconditionally. If you become a murderer, bank robber, 
I don't care if you're a drug addict, a prostitute. I don't, I don't care what you do. I, that will never remove my love from you. I'm your dad. I'm your granddad. I'll love you forever. I'll love you unconditionally. But, but if you do stuff I don't approve of, I will tell you verbally in your face that I do not approve. And if I don't approve, then I'm not going to bless it. Because blessings don't come with love. Blessings come with approval. Are you here? They say, if you don't go out and, and become a drug addict or a meth head or whatever else, and you come to me and say, hey, Dad, do you love me? I absolutely love you. Okay, would you give me some money? No. No, I'm not going to finance your habit. I'm not going to contribute to you killing yourself. I don't approve of what you're doing, and because I don't approve, there is no money. Well, can I stay here? No, because addicts will steal from you and lie to you. You don't love me. Yes, I do. I love you. It hurts me so bad. This hasn't happened, but I'm just telling you, that, that, that's, that's, the, that's my position. Amen. You understand what I'm saying to you? Yeah. But I'm not going to bless it. I'm not going to bless it. I'm not going to bless it because I don't approve of it. Well, God's going to love you forever no matter what you do. There's no way anybody can separate you from the love of God. Nothing bad enough you can do to separate you from the love of God. But... You're going to get in some situations if you don't watch out that he doesn't approve of. And when he doesn't approve, there's not going to be the blessing and there's not going to be the protection. And the devil can come in and start just doing whatever he wants to do. And you say, well, God doesn't love me. Yes, he does. He just can't do anything about the situation. Does that make sense to you? Years and years ago, Jackie and I, my first wife, Jackie and I lived in... in uh, Mexico as missionaries, and man, we were having miracles. I mean, on a regular basis. I'm talking serious miracles. I mean, blind eyes open, deaf ears unstopped. I remember one night preaching to a crowd, and a little girl, I say little girl, she's a young lady, came up to me, and, and, and she's not only blind, she has, she has no color to her eyes whatsoever. She has just totally white. There's no, there's no cornea, there's no, there's no pupils, there's no, there's no color of any kind. All she has is just totally white. And I sit there and laid hands on her and watched her. I mean, she was this close to my face. I'm sitting there praying for her and then watching her eyes, and I watched the, 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 the color come. I watched little pigments come up. I watched little, little tiny bumps come up, and I, I watched things begin to create in her eye until it was a, a real live, honest-to-goodness, seeing eyeball with color and pupil and cornea and retina and whatever else is built in there. I sit there and watched it all. I mean, we were having miracles all the time. And I was driving down the highway one day, uh, minding my own business, and the Lord said to me in a voice not too happy, he said, son, you're in disobedience, and I can't bless that anymore. And that's all he said. God has a habit of not talking a lot. He kind of gets to the point. And uh, I immediately knew what the problem was. He had been talking to me for quite some time. I mean, actually for quite some time to go back to the States. We were living in Mexico for me to go back to the States and to, to learn to fly. That's before, that's before preachers ever had airplanes. I mean, that's a long time, long time ago. And God said, go, go learn to fly. And I thought, who ever heard of a missionary that flies? You know, and, uh, and, and he said, and, and go to other nations. I want you to go to other nations. Now, I was happy as a hog in a turnip patch in Mexico. We were having miracles and salvations, and I mean, God was falling, and heaven had been low and kissed the earth, and we'd get caught around in the middle of the smack. It was wonderful. And God tells me to leave all that. He said, I want you to go to many nations. 
I didn't know any missionary. Mike, they went to many nations back then. You know, Jackie and I were kind of the pioneers of starting going to nation after nation on short, what we call today short-term trips. Everybody and their dog does short-term trips now. But I'm talking back then, you missionaries went and stayed for three or four or five years and then came home for furlough for a year and then they'd go back for four or five years. I mean, that's just the way it had been done since time, you know, since missionaries. And the Lord said to me over and over, I want you to go back. I want you to go to many nations and I want you to learn to fly. Well, I just keep pushing that in the back because I'm saying, man, I'm in Mexico. That's what I've lived for. I mean, God told me at 13 years old. He spoke to me and said, you're a missionary. And so me being a West Texas boy, I thought Mexico. Where else is there but Mexico? I'm only 200 miles from the border. And, and, and you know, I didn't know there's any countries besides Mexico, man, to Mexico. And I loved Mexico then. I love Mexico now. I always say Mexico is my first love, you know, because that's where I moved and lived and learned her language and ate her food and traveled her roads and had, had one of our babies there. And, you know, I mean, you know, I'd, I'd have been happy to live there forever. Still, still be happy. I still talk about it every now and then. Say, man, I may just, if I ever just disappear and y'all can't find me, just look in Mexico for me. <laughs> and, uh, and so, uh, as soon as the Lord said that to me, he said, I, I can't bless that anymore. You're in disobedience. I can't bless that anymore. So I just stopped what I was doing, wherever I was going. I don't know where I was going, but I just stopped, went back to the house, across town. We live in Guadalajara. And, uh, and I went back to, to the house, and Jackie was real pregnant. I mean, you know, she was expecting our, our baby just any time. And uh, so uh, I said to her, I said, we need to pray. And she said, okay, what about? And I told her what the Lord said to me. What well, scared her, like it scared me. And she said, what does that mean? It means God's going to get us? I said, no, it means the devil's going to get us, and God can't do anything about it. I said, it didn't say he, he didn't say he wouldn't bless that anymore. He said he couldn't bless that anymore. And she said, what does that mean? I said, it means we're out of right standing with God. We're, we're not in the will of God. Yet we're having miracles all the time. We're having, man, we got church going on. We got miracles going on. We got all this stuff happening. And uh, she said, what are we going to do? I said, we're going to repent. And I said, as soon as you have that baby, we're going to the States. And then we're going to many, many nations and I'm going to learn to fly. And so uh, we got down on our knees, and we prayed. And I said, Father, you know my word's good. And I said, I give you my word as soon as this baby's born that we'll pack up and we'll go to the States. I don't want to go to the States. I'm having a ball doing, right, doing what I intended to do ever since I was 13 years old. I wanted to be a missionary in Mexico, but you told me to go to many nations, so I'll do that. And you, turn me to learn, you told me to learn to fly, so I'll do that. But I said, I can't do it till this baby's born, so I'll give you my word. As soon as this baby's born and Jackie's able to travel and the baby's able to, tra able to travel, we'll, we'll go. And I uh, said, now we've confessed our sin, and uh, you're faithful and just to forgive our sin and cleanse us from A-double-L all unrighteousness. And uh, so we said, in Jesus' name, amen, and got up. And Jackie said, now what? I said, well, we're in right standing with God now. She said, the devil can't get us now. I said, nope, we're good. We're good. I said, as soon as you have that baby, we're, we're, we're out of here. And uh, sure enough, uh, as soon as she had that baby, in fact, just as soon as she had the baby, like within 10 days of her having the baby, I, I ran up to Houston. I jumped in the car and ran up to Houston, 1,000-mile trip from Guadalajara, and ran up and picked up an organ and a PA system that uh, someone had bought us for our ministry. And on the way back, bringing that equipment back into Mexico, you all, all know the story, I picked up a hitchhiker. And this hitchhiker, as I was driving him along, this hitchhiker reached under his coat and pulled out a pistol and cocked the hammer, reached over and shoved it in my ribs and grabbed my collar by his, with his left hand. So he had me like this and had the gun here. And I'm driving. Brother Copeland on a tape is preaching. And uh, 
He said, I'm going to kill you. Only in Spanish, te voy a matar. And man, I made me mad. I looked at him and I said, I'm a man of God and I've got authority over you in the name of Jesus. You can't kill me. I'm 24 years old. And the brother Cope was still preaching. I just let him preach. And uh, he screamed at me again and said, I'm going to kill you. I said, I'm going to kill you. I said, I said, I'm a man of God and I've got authority over you in the name of Jesus. You can't kill me. This went on for a long time. I've told you the story before, so I won't go to details with it. But uh, I said to the Lord, I said, now, Father, I said, uh, uh, Jesus said in Luke 10, 19, that, that, that nothing, N-O-T-H-I-N-G, you gave me authority over all the power of the enemy, and nothing, N-O-T-H-I-N-G, no thing, shall by any means hurt me. And I said, that means this man, his gun, his bullets cannot hurt me. So if he pulls the trigger, I expect you to do something with the bullet for your covenant's sake. This guy said, aren't you scared? I said, no, I'm not scared. I said, I've all, you've got the loaded gun. I've got the name of Jesus. I win. And he didn't understand that. He was mad at me and thought I was crazy, and I was mad at him. And I rebuked him in English, Spanish, and tongues. And, and uh, we, uh, we went on down the road a little bit, and everything he said to me, I said something back in the, to the Word of God back to him or rebuked him again. And so he said, get off the road. So we got off the road, and I got out on my side, and he got out on his side. We came out the front of the car. He said, give me your money, your watch, your rings, your glasses, your sunglasses, and all this kind of stuff. And he walked up close to me, and I just stuck my finger up in his face, and I said, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And when I did that, he hit me hard with, that, with the end of that pistol, with the barrel of that pistol, and just hit me hard like that and knocked me back against my car. And, uh, and, and, and uh, he said, shut up. You say one more word, I'll kill you. And he stuck the gun right down on my head like that with a hammer cocked. And I'll kill you. And I just stood up off the car. I just pushed myself up off the car. And I stuck my finger back in his face, passed his gun like this. And I said, I said, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. You can't kill me. You can't hurt me in any way in the name of Jesus. And when I said that, he just jumped backwards a couple of steps. We were nose to nose like this. He just jumped back a couple of steps, close to under this chair. And he, he lowered the gun at my midsection and fired at me five times, point blank range five times. And the bullets didn't hit me. Now, I don't know how God did that and have never cared how God did that. That night, I was at home with my wife and babies, and that guy's up in the dark mountains of Mexico with a gun wondering what happened. And what happened was the integrity of the Word of God. But I told that for this point. I've had a lot of preachers over the years tell that story. I mean, it's written in books. Oil Roberts told it. Kenneth Hagin's told it to you. Everybody, everybody's told that story over all these many, many years. Brother Copeland, everybody. Brother Copeland has it in his series on love. You know, and he, he said, because I love the guy, you know, then God, you know, saved my life, blah, blah, blah. Jerry Savelle said it's the shield of faith that deflected the bullets. That the, the, the shield of faith was up and deflected the bullets. Char that sounds good to me. Uh, Charles Capp said it was the angels deflected bullets. That sounds good to me. I mean, I, I, I've heard these guys preach on it and preach on it and preach. Brother Osteen told me years ago, he said, he said it fits any sermon. But, uh, <laughs> but Brother Osteen, John Osteen, Joel's daddy, John, Brother Osteen put it in a, couple of books and one book he put it in in its entirety the whole story in its entirety was a little book called called the believer's number one need and when you read the book what the believer's number one need is is righteousness or right standing and 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 i've always thought i don't know how god did all that but i've always thought brother cope brother osteen john i've always thought brother john was closer would probably hit the nail on the head more than any other preacher I ever told it because he said it was because I was in right standing with God that God was able to do the miracle. Of course, he didn't even know the story about God telling me just, just day, you know, weeks before that saying, you're in disobedience, I can't bless that anymore. Now, what would have happened if I hadn't have gotten in right standing with God had I not repented, which preachers today tell me I can't, you can't repent. Wouldn't that be sad if you couldn't repent? 
dear Lord, that's just nuts. I mean, friends of mine are preaching that. I mean, I've sat and looked them in the eyeball and argued with them about it. One guy sitting there, I talked to him for five solid hours about it. He's one of the major proponents of preaching this stuff. And I love him. He's loved me since he's a teenager. And uh, I was sitting there trying to talk to him, giving him scripture after scripture after scripture. Very, very, very famous guy now. And uh, we were sitting there at a, at, a, at, a, at a tea shop overseas having tea. And, uh, and I asked him, I said, uh, I said what, what, if, what if you got up just now to go to the, you know, to go to the loo, to go to the bathroom, and uh, you, you bumped the table and spilled your tea on me? I said, and it started getting on me. I said, wouldn't you just say, oh, brother, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, wait, wait. He said, well, of course I would. And I said, well, why wouldn't you do that with God? You'd apologize to me. Why wouldn't you apologize to God? Why wouldn't you repent to God? We talked for five solid hours. Me just giving him scripture after scripture and talking to him. No, we weren't mad. We weren't arguing. We were just talking and saying, I love you, man. I love you. I've taught you the word. I mean, you know, I've, I've known you since you were. Finally, we got to leave. I said, I want to ask you one last question. I said, tell me the truth. What do you do when you sin? He said, I repent. You know, sometimes preachers, and I love preachers, but sometimes they get so famous, so big, so famous, so rich, and they've written a sermon, their signature sermon for so long that even when they see it's wrong, they can't, they can't correct it. I shouldn't say they can't. They won't correct it. Because to correct it, they'd have to, I mean, all those books and all those tapes and all those CDs and all those, all those gazillion dollars and all the, that other stuff would have to go away. But see, you don't get an opinion. You don't get an opinion on this stuff. It's just whatever the Bible says, that's the way it is. It's not two or three different interpretations, No. I hear people sometimes tell me, oh, say, oh, well, it's just different interpretations based on your lifestyle. No, it's not. It ain't no interpretation to it. It's just the word of God. If God says do it, do it. If he says thou shalt not, then don't. <laughs> Isn't that right? There's no interpretation of that. Lord, what did you really mean by that? Well, it's pretty plain what he meant. Are y'all here? Do you get anything out of this? Well, it's 7.20 or 8.20. I better wind this down on a Wednesday night. Man, I'm glad y'all came to church on Wednesday night. But let me, let me tell you one, one, one story real quick. Can I do that? Yeah. This is an old, 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 old story, but I think it'll bless you based on what we're talking about tonight. Um, when I was in the military, I, I went out one day and just, just, just to the firing range just because I needed to do some stuff with some weapons. And, but I didn't just take the weapons I was supposed to take. I took a bunch of others. And uh, I was just out there just, just having a good time at the, at the firing range. But, but, uh, uh, but I forgot, for the first time ever, <laughs> I forgot to take any earplugs. And so I'm out there, and I'm just shooting all kind of weapons. I mean, big weapons, little weapons, all kind of guns, you know. And, uh, and I'm having a good time. And, man, my ears are just ringing, of course. Obviously, man, I mean, the gun's only this far from my ear, you know, or that far from my ear. And so, so I didn't think much about it. You know, I've I, I shot and shot and shot. And gathered them all up and cleaned them up and went home. And, man, I went to bed that night and my ears were ringing. Didn't think anything about it. That's just normal. I mean, man, I'm out there banging away, you know, and uh, my ears are ringing. But uh, the next day they were still ringing. That's not normal. 
And the next day they were still ringing. And the next day they were still ringing. This never stopped. And at night I'd lay down, I'd go to bed, and I'd lay down, I'd grab the pillow and just put it up against my head trying to shut out the sound, but the sound wasn't outside, it was inside, so that didn't help. My ears just ringing and ringing and ringing. And, uh, and as, the, as the weeks went by, I began to notice I'm losing some hearing in, in, in certain levels, in certain areas. And, and, and my wife, Jackie, knows the same thing. And we were out there living, you know, in the, in the military base. And so uh, something happened, you know, and... I wouldn't hear it, or she'd say, do you hear that? I said, no, or she'd say something to me, and I didn't hear it, and she'd speak to me again. I said, what? And she said, you didn't hear that? I said, I didn't hear that. And I said, you know, I think I'm losing my hearing. And then she said, well, I think you're right. I think you're losing your hearing. Well, now the Word says, whatever you say with your mouth and believe with your heart will come to pass. And the Word says that where two of you on earth agree to in one thing, it'll be so. When I, she and I are both declaring and believing that I'm losing my hearing. And we're in total agreement. So we've got two scriptures working against us instead of working for us. Two spiritual laws working against us. And so, you know, something else had happened. I said, man, I didn't hear that. I'm, I, I, think I'm I think I'm losing my hearing. Show. I think you're losing your hearing. Terry, do you didn't hear that? I, I think you're losing your hearing. Darling. And it just went on day after day after day after day. And uh, one night we were out at a restaurant. We were in El Paso, Texas. I was at Fort Bliss, Fort Bliss Texas, which is El Paso Air Defense Center, you know, where the all the missiles, you know, are back in those days. It was, uh, man, it wasn't even Patriots. What were we doing back in those Minuteman missiles back in those days. We didn't even have Patriots and certainly not Tomahawks. But we were dealing with missiles. And, uh, and, and we was out at a restaurant there in El Paso, and, and we were just sitting there eating, and, I, and, I, and, and Jackie's sitting across from me, and all of a sudden she, she turned her head like that and looked at something. And I said, what are you looking at? She said, don't you hear that? I said, what? And she said, that guy's, that guy's spurs. And I learned her and looked at this guy, and he's wearing cowboy boots, and he's wearing spurs. He's got these big old rowels on his spurs, you know, and, and they're bouncing up and down. I don't hear anything. She said, you don't hear those spurs? I said, I don't hear, no. And she said, Terry, you are absolutely losing your hearing. I said, I know what, I'm losing, I'm losing my hearing. It's crazy. And uh, so we're just confessing it. We're believing it. We're agreeing. Until finally I got scared. And I said, dear Lord, I'm losing. I better do something about this. I mean, I'm a Christian. I know how to pray. I know how to get healed. And so uh, I uh, took a three-day pass from the Army, and I drove out home uh, we, out, out in West Texas, uh, six hours away, to a pastor friend of mine. And I said to Jackie, I said, I'm going I'm I'm to I'm drive out there six hours and get prayed for by, uh, you know, a pastor and, uh, and, and get healed and come back. And she said, well, okay, that's great. So I take off and drive out there, you know, go over to go over to his his house. Friend, it's a good friend of mine. He's a he's a pastor and an, and an evangelist. And uh, so I went over to his house and told him, I said, "Man, I, I, I damaged my ears. I'm losing my hearing. Uh, I need you to pray for me." And, and I took a three day leave, and so I'm going to run, you know, run back out there when you pray for me and go back go back to a pastor. He said, "Okay, that's great." And he laid hands on me and he prayed and he said, in "The name of Jesus," said everything he's supposed to say and did everything he's supposed to do, and nothing happened. My ears still just ringing and ringing and ringing. And so I thanked him, and we sat there and visited for a little while. And then I drove over about 40 miles, 60 miles away to where my grandma lived, and I spent the night with her and visited with her, and then got up the next morning and took off back to El Paso, six hours, 300 miles. And uh, just as I, as I was still driving in, in town from where my grandma lived, before I got on the highway to leave, I'm just driving in the car by myself, and my ears are just ringing and ringing. I'm really bugged by this. And, and so I just said out loud, I said, I said Father, I don't, I don't get this. I said, I, I understand healing. I've seen healing all my life since I was a little boy. I said, I've had healings. I've prayed for people and they've gotten healed. I, I've, you know, been to 
church all my life and prayed for people, been to the mission fields, prayed for people. I've seen people healed and I've seen miracles and I've seen all this stuff and I know it's right and I know it's real. But the bottom line is I got prayed for and I'm not healed. And uh, the Lord answered me in an audible voice. I think it was audible. Nobody else was in the car with me, so I can't prove it was audible, but it was loud to me. And it sounded like it came from the back seat. In fact, it, it really shook me up. I'm just driving along. And the Lord said these words to me. He said, he said one of us is a liar. Just like that. And I'm driving the car. And I literally whirled around, looked in the back seat. And I said, what would you say? And he said again. He said, one of us is a liar. And I said, well, I don't understand that. <laughs> I mean, that offended me, you know. I knew I'm not a liar. And I know God's not a liar. So it really bugged me. And I said, well, I don't understand that. And he said, my word says, by his stripes, ye were healed. Your word says, I got prayed for and didn't get healed. One of us, son, is a liar. And that's all it took, man. I was done. When he said that, I just yelled and said, I'm a liar. I'm the liar. I'm the liar. You're not the liar. I'm driving down. I'm the liar. You're not the liar. You can't lie. You know, there's two of the coolest scriptures in the Bible that I've lived by all my life. Jesus said in John 8, 44, he said, Satan's a liar. Y'all write that on your arm or something. Just remember that. Satan's a liar. And then Titus 1, 2 says, God cannot lie. Now, if you just put those two scriptures somewhere, that Satan's a liar and God cannot lie, there's going to be several days that's going to help you. Right? And I, and I knew that when I said, I'm not, you're, the, I'm not, you're not the liar. I'm the liar. God can't lie. And I said, Father, I don't understand that. My ear's just ringing. I'm just talking out loud. I said, Father, I don't understand that. But yet I know that's true. I, I, I don't understand it. I don't get it. But I know it's true. I know that your word says by his stripes I am healed. And of course, this was 1969. Again, I couldn't just go read some <laughs> Word of Faith book or listen to some Word of Faith tape. And uh, um, I said, uh, I said, I do understand your word says I'm healed by the stripes of Jesus. And I do understand that I just said I got prayed for and didn't get healed. And both those things can't be true. Somebody's lying, and it has to be me because you can't lie. I said, so, even though I don't understand it, I'm going to agree with you and say I'm healed. I'm healed. I'm healed by the stripes of Jesus. I'd never heard anybody preach that before. God had told me to preach it. God had given it to me as a kid, but I blew it off after the church got on to me. You can talk like God, remember? And uh, I said, I, I, I don't get it. I don't feel healed. My ears don't feel healed. If I asked my ears right now if they were healed, they'd say no, but I'm not asking them. I'm asking you, and your word says I'm healed. So if you think I'm healed, if the God of the universe thinks I'm healed, I must be healed. I'm healed. Thank you, Lord. I'm healed. Now, for that six hours, I had that same conversation. I said that same thing. All the way out there, all by myself in that car, I just said, I'm driving. God thinks I'm healed. God thinks I'm healed. The creator of the universe actually believes that I'm healed and said that I'm healed. If God thinks I'm healed, I must be. If God said I'm healed, I'm healed. Who am I to say I'm not healed if God said I am healed? And I said that for six hours. I drove up to our apartment and, and stopped the car and got out and slammed the door. 
And uh, my wife, Jackie, heard me slam the door, and she came to the front door, and, and she said, hi, baby, welcome home. She said, uh, uh, how are your ears? And I said, I want you to know I'm healed by the stripes of Jesus. She said, well, that's great. She said, I, I agree with that. Well, now she's agreeing with me. She didn't know why. You know, she said, well, I agree with that. Then she said, then as I was walking up to the, to the door, she said, uh, did your ears quit ringing? I said, that's none of your business. That didn't make any difference. I said, I'm healed. God said, I'm healed. If God said, I'm healed, I am healed. She said, well, okay, if God said you're healed, I agree with that, you're healed. And so for the next three days, we had that same conversation. Several times during the day, you know, I'd say, I'd say baby, I'm, I'm healed by the stripes. I'd say, my ears are healed. Or she'd say, she said, darling, your, your ears are healed. You're, I'd say, that's right, my ears are healed. I'm healed by the stripes. And they're just ringing and ringing and ringing. Nothing had changed. Go to bed at night and push that pillow up there and just, uh. Oh, and then I'm saying, I'm healed. I'm healed. I never said again that I wasn't. And somewhere on the third day, I realized that my ears weren't ringing. And then I became a pilot after that and had to go from year, every year for a checkup for years and years and years and years. And just my ears were always, always healed, are healed today. But that, that's where I, that was my first. Now, I had lots of testimonies before that. That's probably, that was my first testimony about where I was doing what I've been talking to you about tonight, where I'm saying what God said instead of saying what the truth is instead of saying what I saw, saying what I felt, saying what I thought. And, of course, the same thing happened to us, you know, having babies because the doctors had told her all her life since she was a little girl she couldn't have babies. Before we got married, she said, I need to talk to you before we get married, and you may not want to marry me. And I, she said, there's two things that, that may affect you wanting to marry. I said, well, what is it? And I thought maybe she was a bank robber. And uh, she, said, uh, she said, well, number one, I can't have children. I know you want to have children, but I can't have children. All I've ever wanted to be is a mommy all my life, but I can't be. If I can't be a mommy, you can't be a daddy. And that, that, you know, if you marry me, you never have any kids. And she said, number two, I'll be an invalid when I'm uh, 30 years old, be an invalid in a wheelchair by the time I'm 30, and I know you're going to be a missionary and travel around the world and tell people about Jesus or go to Mexico at that time. And, uh, and so, uh, you know, you're going to have an invalid wife to care for. And I, and I literally did the same thing. I, I just, I, I said, what? I said, who said? Who told you those lies? She said, well, the doctors and my pastors and my church people and my parents and my, everybody knows it but you. And I said, I've got good news for you, girl. God said you can have children. She said, he did? I said, well, sure he did. So he ordered them in the Garden of Eden. He said, multiply and be fruitful. Then Deuteronomy 7, 13 and 14 says, I'll multiply the fruit of your womb and there'll be neither male nor female barren among you. Psalms 113, verse 9, I'll make the barren woman to keep house and make her a joy, joyful mother of children. Psalms 127, 127, verse 3, children of the heritage of the Lord, the fruit of the womb is reward. In Psalms 128, verse 3, that my wife's a fruitful vine by the sides of my house. My children's olive trees around about my table. You marry me, you have all the kids you want. So we had four. But everybody said we couldn't have any. It's always going to come back down to what you say. And you can be like Palti and Nobby and just tell the truth and just tell what you see and how you feel and how it is and how you think it is. Or you can violate all that and say, God said. Here's what God said. And here's what I say about the situation myself. Did y'all get anything out of all that? Well, stand up with me if you would, please. How many of you know I'm not through? Pastor asked me to come this fall, you know, sometime, I think it's October, and do a Sunday, Wednesday, Sunday. Man, I'm looking forward to spending some time with you guys. I, I, I like spending time together so we can do something. But. Father, thank you for your word tonight. Thank you for this great church again. Thank you for Pastor Mike and Beth. 
Thank you for the word of God. Thank you, Father, that we're not like Palti and Nobby and we're not like those other guys that died of the plague because they said, I'm not going to say something different than what I saw. I'm just going to tell it like it is. But, Father, we're like Joshua and Caleb. We name our kids after them. We, we preach sermons on them. We sing songs about them. We understand who they are because we're going to declare what God has declared. We're going to say it and say it and say it. We don't get an opinion. Father, we don't get an opinion about these things. This, is, this, is, this isn't like something we can just say, well, now here's what I think about. No, 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 no. Father, whatever you said. Jesus said, Father, thy word is truth. And that's exactly what we're going to say about it. We're going to declare it and declare it and declare it and declare it and declare it. We're going to say it with our mouth and believe it in our heart and see it come to pass in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen, 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 amen. Go ahead and put one hand on yourself and the other hand up to God where your help comes from. Let me just pray for you a healing prayer. Father, thank you for healing. Oh, thank you for healing. Lord, I've talked to you about tonight about healing. I've talked to you about miracles. I've asked you for it, believed you for it. Lord, whatever situation's in here tonight, this is not of God. This is not right. Whatever sickness, whatever disease, whatever pain, whatever infirmity, whatever problem in the home or the finances or the business or the marriage or the kids, whatever's going on that's not of God, I curse it tonight. I curse it tonight by Almighty God in the name of Jesus. Father, you know how I feel about disease and sickness. I, we treat them like a rattlesnake. We're not going to coexist with that thing. We curse it, rebuke it, bind it, curse it, curse it, curse it, curse it, and speak death to it. As the power of life and death is in the tongue, we speak death to disease. Did it die? Did it get out of our body? Death to whatever problem's there. Did it leave us in Jesus' name? And we speak life to the people of God, the Zoe life of God, to be healed and to be well and be strong, to be healthy, spirit, soul, body, family, finances, home, ministry, whatever it is, blessings, increase, life. Jesus, you personally said that Satan's come to steal, kill, and destroy, but that you have come to give life and that more abundantly. So we curse the killing, stealing, and destroying tonight. We turn our back on it. We rebuke it. I can't say enough bad things about it in the name of Jesus. And yet we speak life, 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 life. To live and not die and declare the works of the Lord. To be healed. Now, body, you line up with that. Right there is the anointing of God. Right there it is. The anointing of God right there. The anointing. The anointing, Father, that you said destroys the yoke of bondage. You didn't say it broke it or it made it feel bad. You said it destroyed. The anointing destroys the yoke. So whatever yoke is represented in this house tonight, that anointing right there. Now there it is again. Sometimes it's in waves. There, that anointing destroys the yoke of bondage in the name of Jesus. Now, body, be healed. Situation be right, be whole, be well, be strong to the glory of God in Jesus' name.
Thank you. For, now let's lift our hands and thank him for it. And be serious about it. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. If you didn't need a touch, somebody else did, so be glad for them. Thank you, Father, for miracles. Thank you for healing. Thank you for wholeness. Thank you for soundness. Thank you for blessings overcoming us and overtaking us and following us around. In Jesus' name. Father, I'm so glad that we chose you and you chose us. We didn't choose some dead God, but we chose Jehovah God. The one God, the true God, the living God. And Father, we didn't choose some dead church. We chose this one. And you chose us. Father, I've made this statement many, many times over the years that if there wasn't a devil, if there wasn't a devil, it wouldn't make any difference where you went to church. But there is a devil and it makes a difference. It makes a difference. It makes a difference. Thank God for a church like this. It'll preach the uncompromised word of God in Jesus' name. We thank you, Father. That's a blessing, a blessing, a blessing, a blessing. Thank you, Lord. We give you glory. Now, some of you need to do what you couldn't do. Just check yourself out. See what, see what the Lord has done. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Glory to God. Glory to God. I tell you, the anointing, the anointing's right there. Just hang on to that. That's always good for you. That won't hurt you. That's good for you. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. Thank you, Father. Glory to God. Thank you. Oh, the anointing, the anointing. Thank you, Father, the anointing, the anointing, the anointing, the anointing. Father, the anointing destroy in the yoke in Jesus' name. We thank you for it. We give you the glory. Thank you, Father, for that great advantage we have. We're not left here all by ourselves. Almighty God has told us what we can do and should do and will do. And we don't have an opinion about it. We say, yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Glory to God, glory to God. Well, praise the Lord. Amen, amen, amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen, amen. Anybody here tonight, you're not saved, not born again? I, I would just assume on Wednesday night, if you were brave enough to come out, you're probably born again, but you might have come as a guest of somebody. You say, Terry, I need to make things right. I need to hear from God. I need to, I need to change my life. I need to give my life to Jesus. Anybody at all? Praise the Lord. Anybody, anybody? Pray for me so I can get saved. Anybody? Praise the Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I still see some praisers with their hands up, but I praise the Lord. All right. Praise the Lord. All right. We love you all. You're great. Praise the Lord. This has been fun. Products are at the back that will help you and bless you. And uh, Pastor? Come, come rescue these folks. And I appreciate the chance to speak to them. Thank you. Huh? You've been seeing a chiropractor for two months and now he's out of a job? Well, praise the Lord. I'm glad you're healed. Praise the Lord. Y'all check yourself out. You might see what the Lord's done. You know, in the old days, I'd just stop and talk to people and get testimonies. And anymore, we're always in such a hurry. And I get that. So I always just do a, a rapid version, you know, type thing. But, hey, if you're healed, lift your hand and give God the glory for it. Man, just tell, tell somebody about it. You get healed? What would God do? Real loud. All right. I agree you are too. Anybody else? What happened? Knee pain, your right knee's gone. How long has it been there? Months, weeks? Years? 
Oh, on and off for years. Well, now it's off. Thank God. Anybody else? Testimony? Testimony? Praise the Lord. You might check a, a tumor growth, a lump, that sort of thing. Been, been there. Praise the Lord. Well, all right. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let's just lift our hands and thank God again for the goodness. The goodness of God shown unto us. Oh, thank you, Father. Thank you, Father, for your goodness. Thank you for your healing mercy. Your healing mercy in Jesus' name. Blessed be your name, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Blessed be the name of Jesus. Blessed be the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Let's say it together. According to the word of God, I am healed by the stripes of Jesus. No matter what it looks like, no matter how it feels, I am healed. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hadn't this been good tonight? We'll title this, How to Keep God from Killing You. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Well, don't forget the materials back on the, uh, the table at the back and come tell Terry and Renee what a blessing it's been to have them with us. God bless you. Thank you for being here, and you're dismissed.